Last night, a jury found the former Headley frontman guilty of raping an Ottawa woman. The jury also found Jacob Hogart not guilty of groping and raping a teenage fan. The 37-year-old musician had pleaded not guilty to two counts of sexual assault causing bodily harm, one related to each complainant, and one count of sexual interference, a charge that refers to the sexual touching of someone under the age of 16. Andrew Fugliel is the Toronto director of the Criminal Lawyers Association and has this interpretation of the jury's verdict. They believed the Ottawa complainant beyond a reasonable doubt and that they had some doubt about uh, the Toronto complainant. And, you know, that, that's what our system is. It's it, the, the standard never changes in a criminal case. It's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And it may be that the jurors did believe her to an extent, but there, there were issues with her story. There were inconsistencies that were big enough that they just couldn't get around them. Uh, and found that it wouldn't be safe to convict on that set of charges. Uh, whereas with the Ottawa complainant, they were clearly satisfied that whatever inconsistencies were there weren't enough to to get around the core of her story and, and, and found him guilty on that charge. Uh, the uh, Crown had asked for immediate uh, detention, but uh, bail conditions just coming out from court right now. There are new bail conditions. Uh, Jacob Hogard released on bail. He must reside at his family's home in Vancouver. He's got a curfew, among other conditions. His wife will act as surety, has to provide a $200,000 pledge to ensure he complies with the bail conditions. A sentencing hearing for Hogard. Uh, which likely will involve jail time, that is what the judge in the case has said, that is likely going to take place over the summer. But central to the case is consent. And we know that the jury struggled with this. They came back a number of times, asked questions about consent. To talk more about consent and the law, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Pam Hrick, who is Executive Director and General Counsel at the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund. Welcome to the program, Pam. Thank you for having me, Alan. How was consent treated in this trial, and did it surprise you in any way? Well, the law of consent in Canada is pretty clear. Only yes means yes, and that is yes expressed by words or conduct. Passive resistance is not yes. Uh, Failing to say no is not yes. Only yes means yes. Where a lot of the struggle comes in cases like this is that you have one person saying, uh, I didn't say yes, and the other person saying there was there was consent, that they did say yes, and that's exactly what um, the two, uh, well, I say the three uh, people who were involved in this case uh, said. And obviously, the, the jury had a lot of questions about what that means, and this is where, uh, where, where courts and juries alike, I think, as well as us generally in the public, struggle a bit is so much of this comes down to um, a credibility uh, contest. Uh, and one of the problems we've consistently seen in courts is the, per- the per- perpetuation of uh, what I call rape myths, of how people who would be telling the truth would act after uh, someone has been sexually assaulted. Uh, and so one of the things that I get concerned about in cases uh, like this and others is the extent to which that kind of thinking kind of creeps into people's minds and distorts that meaning of, of only yes means yes. So rape myths you would put under that like communication between the complainant and uh, the suspect after the alleged assault. We, we see that raised in cases all the time. Like why would you continue to talk with him if this had happened? That kind of thing. 
That sort of thing. Also, in this case, it was it was really the defense theory of the case uh, that these two women had made up uh, these allegations after the fact because they were ashamed of this consensual sex or because they didn't like that um, that Jacob Hogard rejected them after the fact. And that's a that's a fairly pernicious myth. And the, the court, uh, the judge presiding over this, actually commented on it. That's been a fairly pernicious myth in sort of con um, constructing the ideal victim uh, and constructing how people act and what they might be motivated by after the fact. From a legal perspective, the fact that the jury came back so many times saying we can't reach a decision, was sent back, asked all of these questions, does that strengthen a potential appeal? I will have to see, and I know the Crown will act, will, will be giving uh, quite a bit of thought to this, and I'm sure uh, Defence Counsel will uh, as well. I, I, from what I have seen of the of the coverage of the case, uh, what we what we saw was were jurors coming back and and uh, and asking their questions, and then counsel for both sides, the defense and the crown and the judge all talking about what the proper instruction is to the jury, the right way to answer the question so that they had all the information and the correct legal framework in order to make what they call findings of fact to say, does this uh, legal uh, framework applied to these facts lead us to say that there was no consent? If you could get in there and tinker with the criminal code, and I know this is always a big question, but what part of it do you think needs to be addressed to make this safer for complainants and a more fair system? Well, I, I think uh, I think what we really need to do is to kind of uh, set aside uh, the criminal system as the sort of um, as the end all or, and be all and the thing that we want to drive these cases towards because there is always going to be a tension between the very important presumption of innocence and the rights of accused persons in trials and in the rights of uh, survivors of sexual violence to be treated uh, with dignity and to be treated uh, equally. And I think that the criminal justice system in the vast majority of cases is not set up to support victims and survivors uh, of sexual violence uh, in a way that respects truly those equality and, and dignity rights. I think we need to be looking outside the system to issues like prevention, so education on consent and healthy relationships. We need to be looking at things like restorative justice that seek to, to bring people uh, together where it is safe to do so after an assault uh, to to say uh, to, to to reconcile and to and to well not reconcile but to come forward and say these are the harms that were caused to me and give space for accountability uh, outside an adversarial criminal uh, system. So I, I don't think the right question is how do we make the criminal system fit sexual violence better. It's what other ways can we work to prevent and address sexual violence that will work better for survivors. That's fascinating, Pam. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Pam Hrick, who's Executive Director and General Counsel at the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, uh, talking about the, uh, the Hogarth trial, the verdict in, and as I mentioned, new bail conditions. He is out on bail, but must reside in Vancouver, can only come back to Toronto for uh, legal matters and a $200,000 assurity uh, from his wife.